Tonight's Bible reading comes from 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 to 10. But before I read that, Matt asked me to remind everyone who's coming on site that um, the Pew Bibles are not here, obviously, and that um, it's a great idea to bring your own hard copy if you have one and would like to do that. If you don't, I'm sure you could ask someone else around here. Um, So 1 Thessalonians 1 to 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Uh, thank you, Michelle. Uh, nice to, to see you all here tonight, and lovely to see you at a uh, live stream if you're watching us from home. Glad you've joined us. Uh, friends, I've been reading um, the Bible in a year with uh, Nikki Gumbel, an English pastor who whose church runs the Alpha Course, and uh, on the 29th of January, uh, he told the story of Shane Taylor. You have a beautiful uh, photograph there of Shane and his uh, wife and five children. But uh, this guy, Shane, was considered one of the most dangerous men in the United Kingdom uh, and in the present system. Jailed for attempted murder. He had his sentence extended by four years because he tried to attack a prisoner with broken glass. Set up a riot in the prison. So they locked him away in a segregation unit. And he was given his food through a little hatch. So dangerous was he. Uh, The door was not opened unless there were six officers armed with riot shields waiting outside. Later, though, he was transferred to a maximum security prison where he was invited to do the Alpha course, which is an evangelistic course that we've offered here at Nawi as well. It's offered right around the world. And they do it in prisons because they realize that prisoners need to know that there's a God who loves them who offers forgiveness and a new start in life. And for some reason, he went along to this group, and as he heard the gospel, uh, he was converted. As he heard the gospel, he realized that despite his brokenness, his sin, his horrible nature, that there was a God who would forgive him. And he said this, Jesus Christ, in his prayer, I know you died on the cross for me. I hate who I am, who I've become. Please forgive me and come into my life. He said at that moment, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he ran out onto the wing, telling everyone who could find that Jesus is real. There you go. Hardened criminal, met Jesus, touched by the Holy Spirit, converted, and now full of life, wanting to tell everyone that Jesus is real. And his behavior changed so much that he went from living in total segregation to getting a trusted job in the prison chaplaincy. He prayed for the prison officers and for his enemies. When he came out of prison, he got involved in a local church. He met a young woman called Sam, and you have a photograph of her just there. 
She also had a tough life, been involved with drugs and criminal activity. She too came to faith in Jesus Christ, transformed by the gospel. Married, now have five children. Nikki Gumble says this, talking to Shane now, it is hard to imagine that he is the same person who terrified so many people in the past. He has experienced the wonder of God's great love, Psalm 17, verse 7. He says, Jesus has shown me how to love and how to forgive. He has saved me. He has forgiven me for what I've done. He's turned my life around. And that's great, great news as we start this series, as we start a new year of ministry, that God is in the business of transforming lives and bringing glory to His name. Last week, uh, during our vision launch, I reminded you that our vision as a church is to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's our vision. That's what we pray for. That's why we invest our time in and our money to see men and women touched by God, changed, transformed, and then continuing to become more like Jesus as they serve Him. The Thessalonian church, which is what we're going to look at over the next seven weeks, is a great example of how God uses the preaching of the gospel to transform lives. It's a great place to start. Uh, you're probably familiar that the Apostle Paul uh, visited Thessalonica on his second missionary journey about uh, 49 to 50 AD. He preached the gospel and many were converted. And uh, the Bible says this, some of the Jews believed, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. He had preached for three Sabbaths in the Jewish synagogue. And so we have lives transformed. He goes, he preaches, he explains the message and they're changed. But as soon as people became Christians, violent opposition arose. People who hated the gospel, people who hated the news of Jesus' death and resurrection, and who hated Paul because he preached it. And therefore they set up a riot in the city that had smuggled Paul out of the city for his own protection. Christ-centered preaching and ministry and conversions often leads to opposition. Whether you're at school or at university or in the workplace, let me say, when you come to Christ, when you tell people about Jesus... Don't be surprised when opposition comes, and don't be frightened when it comes, because God is Lord, and God is sovereign, and He's able to work. Paul then, what did he do? As he disappeared from Thessalonica, he ended up in Berea. What does he do in Berea? He preaches the gospel again. They didn't stop him preaching. He went to a new place, started preaching the gospel, but the Jews followed him from Thessalonica down to Berea. They sort out another, started up another riot, and Paul had to escape again. Paul now is in Athens waiting for them. Timothy and Silas return to Thessalonica to find out how's the church going. See, Paul had preached, the church had established, and he cared. Paul was a pastor and a missionary and a leader. He said, I wonder how they're going. I hope they're continuing in the faith. And he sent his apostles, his friends, to check up on them. And they report in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 6, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Paul was greatly encouraged as a pastor and a leader who cares for them. So what were they like? What did he write to them? Having heard this good news, what did Paul say? It is a community that lives in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. It is a community, an authentic community that lives in God the Father. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ says grace and peace to you. Friends, the first thing I want you to know is whether you're watching a live stream or in this auditorium or in the hall even, is that an authentic church is living in, it is rooted in, it is drawing its life from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Our viability, our strength does not come from ourselves. We draw our life and strength from God the Father and the Son. We are a God-dependent 
and God-centered church. That's what the Thessalonians were like, and that's what we're called to be like right here. And let me say, if you're visiting church tonight, the Church of Jesus Christ is not a social club. It's not a cricket club. It's not a golf club. It's not a craft group. It's not a gymnasium. It is a church, a group of people, an assembly that is rooted in relationship with God, and He makes all the difference. So no matter who you, who you are, where you come from, what your background, uh, poor or rich, black or white, smart or not so smart, whatever it is, you are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's our identity. You know, we live, I often say, for the spread of His fame and the glory of His name. Remember that. Say it to yourself. We live for the spread of His fame and the glory of His name. We magnify God, not ourselves. No one will bow their knee at me on the final day. But guess what? Philippians says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is where the world is heading. The world is heading to the point where everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And we need to acknowledge that right now and live in light of that truth and that reality. Friends, we have power. We have a dynamic in God because we are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that gives us any hope and any value as the church of Jesus Christ. Broken people, sinful, forgiven people, but powerful because of our relationship with God. Hold on to that truth. And then he says, grace and peace. Grace, God's favor, unjustified or unmerited favor, and peace, the fullness of health and harmony through reconciliation with God. He says, I want them to experience grace, and I want the church to experience God's peace. Secondly, it is a community distinguished by faith, hope, and love. Three key terms here. But I want you to notice the first thing that he remembers them and he prays for them. We always thank God for all of you. We always, get that, always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. I always thank God for you. I'm, he mentioned them in their prayers. He continually remembers them before God. Friends, memory, thanksgiving, and prayer belong together. And so I ask you today, as we gather here, have you remembered someone who's blessed you, who's been an example to you this week? And have you thanked God for them? And have you prayed for them? Sometimes we are so busy in our lives, we don't stop and say, thank you, God, for my wife. Thank you, God my daughter. Thank you, God, for my friend. Thank you, God, for that person who gave me a call today and I needed that phone call. Thank you, God. Remember, give thanks and pray. I think most of us uh, need to pray and work for better memories. And for me, the way it works for me is that when someone tells me of a need, I write it down. I type it down. I say, listen, give me a moment and I'll write it down. You know why? Because if I don't write it down, there are 20 other things happening in my head, I'm going to forget. So I write it down, and then I, I move it into my diary. And I have a diary, and I have a whole sheet of paper. Not paper diary, right? I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm still the paper guy. And, uh, but I write it down, and the name of the person, and who's pregnant, and when their, their baby is due, and what I should pray for, who's sick, who's in hospital, who's had a stress, uh, who, whose life has been changed by Jesus, who got into a university course, or maybe something else. And I write it down. That will help me to remember, give thanks to God, and constantly bring it before God in prayer. I wonder what you do to remember. You write it down? 
Do you type it on your phone somehow? Pray the news prayer letter we send out every Monday or Tuesday. What should you pray for? Well, firstly, when the email comes out, click it and open it and read it first. If you read it, you might remember something and you might pray for someone, right? Someone in need. If you don't read it, you don't know, or go to Instagram or go to the Facebook page, wherever the stories are shared in our young adults, read the stories and remember and pray. We as pastors pray for you and pray uh, for the church. Pray in your home groups, pray in your ministry team, pray for new people. Meet new people tonight and find out who they are and what, is, what it is that you can pray for them. For our missionaries, remember them, give thanks and pray for them. What does he pray for? What does he think or thank God for? Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He sees that their faith works. Their faith worked. It's, it's a genuine faith. It's an authentic faith, right? It's not simply, I have faith in Jesus and it doesn't make a difference in their lives. Their faith works. It results in good works. For us in service and ministry and evangelism and chaplaincy and kids leaders and food hampers and craft groups and playtime ministry, all types of things that we do because faith results in good works. Secondly, love labors. A true love for people leads to labor for them. Otherwise, it degenerates into sentimentality. When we say love, we don't mean just do one little thing for someone. We mean love, so it's costly. I was talking to uh, that new uh, youth pastor. What's his name? Lachlan. Right? And uh, I said, how, how was Friday night? He said, hey, long night, youth leaders. And uh, you went there, and then a great night with the young people, 80 teenagers plus, and the leaders, they worked beautifully together, and then we had a... Then the kids finally went home, and then we had a leaders' meeting. Then after they went home, we had the senior leaders' meeting. Probably started at midnight. Love labors. Sometimes it's their long nights. Sometimes they're long mornings. But you do it for the glory of God's name, don't you? It's costly. Ministry is costly. Love labors. You don't burn yourself out, but it's costly. And hope endures. You know, if these people were under persecution as they were, they hoped in the return of Jesus, and they endured for Jesus. They trusted him. No matter what happened, what opposition, what persecution, they hope endures. They continued in the faith. And friends, uh, I rejoice. Let me say publicly, and I often say this uh, on the live stream, those listening in, love. I see faith working in this church. I see love laboring in this church. I see hope enduring in this church. I see us as partners together in the gospel. And let me tell you how often I just go to God and thank him. I can look at your face and I know who you are and what you do. I know some, some of you better than others. When I see you and I see a little message you might put on, on Facebook or Instagram and I, and I see where you serve in a certain ministry or someone you pray for. You know what I do? I say, oh God, so thank you God. Thank you God for these guys. Thank you that they love you. Thank you Jesus that you've touched them. Thank you Jesus that you are working in their costly ministry. Thirdly, this is a community that is loved and chosen by God. Notice the language. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. Now, some people have this problem with the whole idea of the doctrine of election. The Bible uses the language God chooses us. Sure, we're called to respond by faith. The Bible uses the language God chooses us and he elects us into his family. He says it here again. You have been chosen by God. People try to work out how does God choose us and doesn't choose other people. That's not the point of the doctrine. 
The point of the doctrine is because God knows you and loves you, has chosen you, you are safe, you are secure, no one can hurt you, no one can take you away from God, and you're on the way to eternity with God, safe, secure, God is your refuge. In Deuteronomy, the Bible says the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. That's it. God chose you. Similarly, in 1 Thessalonians, we see Paul unites the love of God and the election of God. He loved you. He chose you. You were safe in him. John Stott, a former Anglican theologian who's passed away now, said, he chose us because he loves us, and he loves us because he loves us. He does not love us because we are lovable. We're all sinners, but only because he is love. And with that mystery, we must rest content. But you see, when this church receives this message from Paul, you are loved and chosen by God. What it says to them is the enemies cannot hurt you. The devil cannot hurt you. You are safe and secure in God, chosen by God. It gives two bases for their knowledge. Firstly, the preachers, the gospel has gone to them with deep conviction and the Holy Spirit, and that they have responded to the message. The way in which they have lived is clear evidence that they are truly chosen by God. Which leads us to an explanation which comes up in verses 5 to 10. This is a community that receives the gospel and then transmits the gospel. They receive the gospel and then they share it with others. So the gospel came to the Thessalonians in verse 5. How did it come? Through Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But the gospel also came with words. The gospel came with words. It's because our gospel came to you not simply with words. It didn't come simply with words, but it came with words, right? If someone is going to become a Christian, then they need to understand the gospel. What is it? God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. He created you for a relationship with God, but you turned away from God. You sinned. You rebelled. You chose to run your life your own way. The Bible says that puts you under the judgment of God. You don't have a hope in the world because you're a sinner and you deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But God so loves you. God is so gracious and so merciful that despite your sin and your rebellion, He sent His Son into the world. The Son of God who lived a perfect life who died a sacrificial death, who rose again victorious over, over death, proving it's a done deal. And if you repent of your sins, turn from your sins and believe in Him, you will have eternal life. See, there's some words people have to know and understand. Amen? They, they've got to understand the gospel. He says, not simply with the words, but there are words. You know, I was uh, sharing the gospel with a guy a few years ago, and, uh, and I sort of convinced him that the Bible was true. And I convinced him that the evidence for the resurrection was sufficient to put your faith in Jesus. And it took like weeks and weeks, and he finally said, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So, oh, hallelujah, that's fantastic. So, are you going to give your life to Jesus? He said, no. I said, why not? You just told me. You believe it. It's true. And if it's true, then you're in terrible trouble if you don't, right? He said, yes, but I don't want anyone else telling me how to run my life. You see not enough simply to hear the words, to under, even to understand the words. There's a point of repentance that comes. But Paul says to the Thessalonians, in your church, it wasn't simply with words. That gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. You see, they heard the words. Then the powerful Holy Spirit brought new life to them, helped them to understand it, to receive that gospel. It's not just you and the word. 
It's the Holy Spirit bringing new life to you so you can receive the gospel. It's as if the lights go on. Imagine Shane Taylor, the guy I started with. Here's this uh, violent criminal in jail, maximum security. Doesn't have a hope in the world. All of a sudden, he hears these words. You would, you would think they would just wash over him. Oh, yeah, Jesus loves you. Yeah, sure, he loves me. Just come over here and I'll beat your head in, right? And somewhere, as he hears the message of a God of mercy and compassion, he's broken. And he thinks, there is someone who can forgive me, give me value, and give me a new life. You know, that's, friends, that is the Holy Spirit working in the life of someone to bring them to that point of conversion. And for myself, I heard the gospel for 18 months. I went to a youth group uh, from year 9 through the middle of year 10, hearing the Bible, asking questions. And I, I believed it intellectually, but I was fearful of putting my faith in Jesus. Until one day, I was 15 years of age, middle of year 10, at a little prayer gathering, and I thought, now's the time. The Spirit says, don't put it off any longer. And I repented, and I invited Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. And there's a joy that comes with that, isn't there? The power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel also came with deep conviction, he says. I think the reference here is probably to the conviction of the preachers who brought the message. You know, they'd been changed by the gospel. Paul, remember, he was an enemy of Christ. Uh, he was persecuting believers until in the book of Acts, the Holy, well, God, Jesus appears to him, and he understands that Jesus is the Messiah, and he becomes an apostle rather than a persecutor. True faith works, and these guys were convicted by the truth. They wanted to share the gospel. Let me say, if you, youth ministry, children's ministry, university ministry, just witnessing to your friends, you need to believe that it's a matter of life and death, this gospel message. You cannot share the gospel and you cannot pray light prayers. You've got to pray heavy, serious prayers that God would touch lives and transform them. Because the Bible says it is a spiritual battle. The enemy, Satan, wants to keep people in darkness. And you need to be convicted that it's not like, oh, well, Jesus loves you. If you want to follow him, you'll have a great life in heaven. But if you don't, that's okay. Have a great life here and everything's good. No, it's not like that. It's a deep conviction that outside of Christ, you don't have a hope in the world. Outside of Christ, you're going to mess up your life. Outside of Christ, you will not find the fulfillment you need. And outside of Christ, you meet Christ on judgment day and you are lost forever. You see, there needs to be a deep conviction in us. And we need to believe that this message is serious, this message is important, and we communicate it with grace and love and mercy. But friends, there's got to be a deep conviction in our hearts. In other words, we're not going to, if we don't believe it matters for eternity, if it only matters for a few people to come to church on a Sunday, and that's all it is, you will not witness to Christ. And you will not pray for the salvation of the lost. The gospel also came by authentic believers. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Power, words, power, the Holy Spirit, and authentic believers who lived out the faith. So they preached the gospel and they lived the gospel. They said, you've seen us, you know us. And then it goes on in verse 6, they welcomed the message. This is how the gospel came to you. And then you received it. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So they looked at us and think, wow, that's, we want to be like them. That's what a Christian is. And of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I love this. They welcomed it in spite of severe suffering. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you become a Christian, your family cuts you off. 
You become a Christian and you get mocked at work. You become a Christian and you get laughed at at school. And you don't want to tell people you're a Christian because you don't want to be the odd one out. But when you follow Christ and you know him, despite severe suffering, you can rejoice in him. I was reading the story of a fellow called Raj. He was one of six children born into a wealthy Brahmin family. A Brahmin family is the highest caste in the Indian Hindu caste system. So when you're in a Brahmin family, you stay there. You don't get out of there, right? You've reached the top of the caste system. At the age of 23, Raj met Jesus and became a follower of Christ. He told his family about this, and they disinherited him. They cut him off. They treated him as if he was dead. In fact, you know what they did? They held a funeral service for him. Son, you're dead. You follow Jesus, you're dead. And he's never had a conversation with his mother or father or brother or sister since that day. He said uh, for several weeks, when he was kicked out of the family home, he wandered around the streets of Bangalore. He had virtually no food to eat. He walked all day and slept in the park at night. And in time, he met Christian believers who looked after him and cared for him, began to speak about his newfound faith, and led many people to Christ. And for several years, he was the national director of the Alpha Course in India. Here you go. Brahmin family, converted, kicked out of home, considered as dead, and now leading one of the largest evangelistic ministries in India. And he says this. He says, I've had a blessed life, and that God is more than compensated my losses. Friends, when you meet the real Jesus, the one who matters, the, man, the one who counts for everything, all else is loss. But they welcomed it with joy given by the Holy Spirit. They welcomed it despite severe suffering, but with joy. So I say to you, if you want to come to Christ, don't come reluctantly. Come with joy when the Holy Spirit takes hold of you and lets you know that you're now a child of the living God, uh, chosen by God, one of his family, that leads to joy. So I would expect that Christians, if you come to this church, that there's a sense of happiness and joy in your life. Not always happy, smiley, life's tough sometimes, but there's this inner joy that God gives you, right? And if you don't have that, I want to pray for you, right? Because I believe that when you come to Christ, there needs to be this joy that comes. And you become imitators of the apostles and of the Lord. Now, the fellow who led me to Christ was a Church of Christ uh, teacher, primary school teacher. He went to a Church of Christ. And I, I thought about that, and I thought, who did I imitate? And I guess he was my pastor, teacher, evangelist for the first 10 years of my Christian life. And uh, so I watched him. See, I watched him go to the local park and play soccer with the kids and cricket and share Jesus. I watched him run our ISCF group on a Friday night. I watched him love us. I watched him take us out on outings. I watched us... Uh, him take us to Christian events where we would hear more about Jesus. Just watched him live for Christ, read the Bible, pray, evangelize, make disciples. And I just, it's not like I wanted to be like him. You just became like him, right? If a person who's modeling Christianity to you is so radical for Christ, you want to become like him. And so I ask you tonight, I mean, who have you looked at? Who have you imitated? And who's imitating you? Youth leaders, let me tell you. Those young people, they're watching you. What are you like? Is there a genuine godliness about you? Is there this genuine care for others? Do you listen well? Do you love well? Do you serve well? Do they respect you? People are watching us all the time, and I guess you're watching me, and I don't know what you think about me. Please don't tell me. 
Not now. <laughs> and, and I'm watching other people, and sometimes you learn from some people, you don't learn from some others, think, oh, I like that, I don't like that, but we call to imitate and be examples because people are always looking. And then these guys so imitated the apostles and the Lord that they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. There was something about their life so transformed by the gospel, so authentic church that they were, that everyone was watching them. Leon Morris says, the imitators in their turn were imitated now by others. And they were so changed by God that the Lord's message thundered out from them. Verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Friends, the Greek word for rang out has the whole idea of thundering out or a resounding gong or a roaring sea. It's a loud noise. And Paul is saying, guys, you guys are so radical, so accepted the gospel. God's spirit is so at work. The message is going out. Everyone knows about the Lord. And everyone knows about your faith. Everyone's hearing about it. And friends, in 2021, as in 2020 and in the previous year and the next year, I hope that the gospel thunders out from Noe Baptist Church with grace and mercy and joy. As it goes out and people here in our community, well, I've heard about that really loving and accepting youth group ministry. I've heard about the playtime. I've never been to such a welcoming place. There's something about Jesus in that place. Or that's what we want to hear, that people are hearing that Jesus is a great saviour. Not, we're not seeking to make Noe great again, right? seeking to show how great God is by being faithful to him and honoring him. Will it thunder out from us into our community this year? And their testimony finally was clear and impressive. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I love that. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath, they turn to God from idols. Friends, when you come to Christ, there's a turning. And people think, well, these guys used to worship idols and statues. They now serve the true and living God. Wow, something's changed. But they turned not simply to God from idols. They turned to serve the living and true God. You see, they turn and they serve God. They don't just turn and say, well, I'm on my way to heaven now. I've got my ticket. Let's just take it easy. Drop in the church every so often. Might even go to a Bible study. I might even give a little bit of money. I'll throw a $20 note in every so often to help God's work. I've turned. I'm okay. No, no, no. Turn and serve the true and living God. If there is a true and living God, then you've got to give your life to Him. But they did something else. They turned, they served, and they waited. They waited for His Son from heaven. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They knew that there was a future day when Christ would return. The son who died and rose again is the son who will come again to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him and judgment to those who are unprepared. They turn, they serve, they wait. The waiting is not sitting back on a lounge doing nothing. That means that they have one eye on the coming again of Jesus. So when they're persecuted by the enemies in Thessalonica, 
they know Christ is coming back. We're going to keep serving him. He's a true and living God. doesn't matter what happens to us. We have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the word of God. We have the truth. And we know Jesus is coming back. He will rescue us from the coming wrath. Friends, what's an authentic God-glorifying church? What's God want us to be? To be a church that lives in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We live for the spread of his fame and the glory of his name. We are distinguished by faith, hope, and love. A faith that works, a hope that endures, a love that labors. We realize that we are loved and chosen by God. It is not us, it is God who is doing all of this. And finally, we receive the gospel, we transmit the gospel, and we ensure that people, we pray that people would turn, would serve, and wait for the coming again of Christ. We need to be a church that has a faith that works. I want to pray for you and pray for me at this time as we head into a new year of ministry. I invite the musicians that would come up ready to sing about a, a beautiful, holy God, the one who is Lord and supreme over all. But uh, let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. We thank you, God, that you uh, send your Holy Spirit to, to show us our sin and to convict us and to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. We do pray that we as a people would truly turn from idols to serve the true and living God, that we would wait for his appearing and live in view of that appearing. God, we pray that we would be men and women whose faith works, whose love labors, whose hope endures, because we have met Jesus, we have been changed by Jesus, and we look forward to glorifying Jesus in all that we do. We pray it in his name and for his glory. Amen.